thousand times I've failed Still your mercy remains And when I stumble again I'm caught in your grace everlasting Your light will shine when all else fades Ever ending Your glory goes beyond Despite the crazy parable at the end of today's gospel story, this text is all about authority. And since that is kind of a loaded word, and we all have some of our own ideas about what it means, I thought I'd start by getting us all on the same page with this one. So authority has three main definitions. The first one is the power or right to give orders and make decisions. The second one A person having power or control in a particular sphere. And the third one, the power to influence others, especially because of one's commanding manner or one's recognized knowledge about something. So, knowing these three kind of main definitions, how many of you, by a show of hands, have ever had an issue with someone in authority? Yeah, raise them high, raise them high. Me too. No worries. Uh, So we come across Jesus teaching in the temple, a place of authority. He's been given this seat to teach. And he's saying a lot of things that don't really jive with the things other rabbis have been teaching. And the chief priests and temple elders come and offer a challenge. Now, why is this such a big deal? It doesn't seem like that exciting of a story in the grand scheme of Jesus' life and ministry But there's some undercurrents happening in this text that I found really helpful to understand just what's going on in this story. So if you are teaching in the temple in Jerusalem, you are kind of a big deal. You are basically told you are worthy of being heard. You have something to say. You're given authority. So you are in the place of power and importance. You are in charge of what is said. You get to teach. You're in charge of who gets to ask questions. You set the rules for the discussion. In this moment, Jesus is in that seat. Now, if you're in this position of power, this teaching seat, a power of authority, in the temple, you are able to keep in that seat until someone challenges you. And if that happens and you can't answer their question with um, either the right answer or sufficient to what they think is correct, then you lose. And if you lose, you essentially forfeit your right to continue teaching in the temple. You lose your seat of authority in the temple. So basically you're kind of sent outside to stand on the corner with a bullhorn like the crazy preacher guy, right? That people ignore as they're walking into the temple. So one could argue here that if Jesus loses this challenge that is brought forward, he is out, right? He kind of loses his authority. He is no longer a threat, one could say. He probably doesn't even get killed if he no longer has this place where people say he is worthy of being heard. So the chief priests, that's what they want to have happen, right? They want him to lose that seat. So they come up to Jesus in the temple and they say, by what authority are you teaching this stuff, this crazy stuff that doesn't match all the other things we teach? And who told you you could say it? 
It's not that they don't think Jesus belongs in the temple. I mean, he is a rabbi. He's allowed to teach there. But he is saying these things that are so far outside of the box, things that are stirring up the people, and these chief priests and elders cannot let it go. Now, in case you need a refresher, the the past few weeks here in our worship services, we've been talking about these very teachings that Jesus is giving in the temple. We've heard about forgiveness, what it means to live together in Christian community. Last week, Pastor Chad preached on the parable of the workers in the vineyard, where everyone was paid the same daily wage, even though they hadn't all worked the same amount. Do you remember that? It felt really unfair. It still feels unfair. It's a week later. It still feels unfair. And Chad said that's what's so frustrating about grace, right? That grace is not fair. That parable from Jesus of the workers in the vineyard was the lesson he taught right before this moment today. For the religious leaders, it was the last straw. They had to challenge him. This guy was shaking things up a little too much. Everyone is included in the grace of God, did not fit their rites and rituals of the temple that tell people if they're in or out. So they bring forward this challenge. Tell us by what authority you're saying this stuff and who gave you the authority to say it. Now Jesus, remember being in the seat of teaching, the authority seat, gets to set the rules. So in just the classic Jesus fashion, he says, okay, I'll ask you a question. And if you can answer my question, I'll answer your question. And so he says, did John's baptism come from heaven or from humans? It's such a great question because it is lose, lose for the elders and chief priests. And they totally know it. They say, if we say from heaven... He'll say, why then did you not believe him, right? If John's baptism came from God himself, why didn't you believe John? Why'd you kill him? And if we say of human origin, the crowd's going to get mad because they all regard John as a prophet. So they are stuck. Jesus has essentially won this challenge and they know it. I sort of picture this moment of the chief priests and elders huddling off to the side, mumbling and grumbling among themselves, trying to figure out the answer, and they know they don't have it, so they sort of shove that one guy out of the group to answer to Jesus, and he doesn't want to, so he mumbles, we don't know. And Jesus keeps teaching, because he won. And instead of teaching to the whole crowd again, he kind of sticks it right to the chief priests and elders. He tells another parable that pushes this envelope again. Katie told it to us in our kids' time this morning. A man had two sons. He went to the first, said, son, go work in the vineyard. And the son said, nope, not gonna. And later he changed his mind and went and did it. The father went to the second and said the same thing. Please go work in the vineyard. And the second son said, yes, I'll go. But he did not go. And Jesus asked the crowd, who did the will of the father? So the chief priests and elders say, the first son, the one who said no but went into the vineyard to work. And then Jesus responds with sort of this gut punch of an answer. He says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes, so the people they thought were the worst, definitely out of the circle of in and out in the temple, they're going to go to the kingdom of God ahead of you, chief priests and elders. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Jesus, no sense of self-preservation here, right? Like, he doesn't, he is 
sticking it to these guys. He tells them that, you know what, this is all about authority. If we're talking about authority and you're pushing back on mine, I'm telling you that you say you believe in God, you say you love God, but you do not back it up. Since the original question they ask him is about authority, this is what his answer is about. And what Jesus is doing is questioning their authority, the chief priests and elders. They have authority in the temple, but they aren't using it on behalf of those in their care. It comes, always comes back to this question of authority in this text. If we can see that slide again. The power or right to give orders and make decisions. A person having power or control in a particular sphere. And the power to influence others, especially because of one's commanding manner or one's recognized knowledge about something. The chief priests, are these, these are their characteristics, right? They're in the temple because they have something to teach. They've been given this authority. People listen to them, and what they say matters. And before we judge these priests and elders in the gospel text, before we sort of say, like, oh, those guys are always getting it wrong. They're such jerks. Let's remember how often we ask those in authority this very set of questions. Who are you? And why should I listen to what you have to say? Right? Don't we ask that very often in our daily lives? We all have issues with people in authority. And there are many reasons for this. Today as gospel, you could argue that the reason is about fear. The elders and priests are losing their power. They're losing some of their influence, some of their authority, and they don't like it. So they push and they poke and they challenge and they try to discredit Jesus. And when that doesn't work, they have him killed. But fear, though a powerful motivator, is not the only issue people have with authority. I would guess that most of us don't like authority, not because we're scared of losing our own. And maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but I'm kind of guessing not that the times I've had issues with those in authority has not been because they were taking away my place of power, but because I believed that they weren't using their position for good. They're acting on behalf of themselves, at the expense of others. See, Jesus continued his teaching right at these guys in authority with a parable about actions mattering more than words. A preaching professor, Caroline Lewis, at Luther Seminary said that true authority, real authority, demands a palpable connection between who you are and what you do, between what you say and what you do. And isn't this the challenge for us as well? The lectionary pairs this gospel text with the Philippians text for a very clear reason. And it's because in this letter of Paul to the Philippians, this new church in Philippi, they're asking the same question. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And how do I take that authority given to me out into the world? Paul says, if you believe in Jesus, then match your words with your actions. Because it's easy to say with authority, I am a Christian. It's much harder to go out and do the work in the vineyard. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. See, when we have issues with somebody in authority, it's not usually because they're humble, loving, and putting other people first, right? Like, those authority people we kind of like a lot. Look at our Pope Francis, how everybody likes Pope Francis so much more than any other pope in recent history. Why? Because he's constantly lifting people up higher than him. What makes us frustrated is when somebody in authority uses their position, their authority, their place of power for their own interests. And Paul says, if you really are a Christian, if you follow this Jesus guy, then be like he was. Have the same mind. He was equal to God, which, remember, we are not. But Jesus was equal to God, and in that case, had all the power and authority possible to ever have, and he didn't exploit it. He didn't use it for himself, but for us, for you. He could have used it for himself. He was tempted and never did it for you, for your sake. And then we are called to go and do the same for others in the world. Paul is reminding us, if you're a part of this church thing, this is what this looks like. And it's really hard. Because the world tells us that what matters is power and status and getting ahead no matter what, no matter who gets in your way, just step out of there, get them all, go all over the place. The world tells us take care of yourself first, help others if you have a little time later. Right? If you've got anything left over, then you use that. The world tells us, you know, if something's going on but it doesn't really affect you, it's okay, don't worry about it. Somebody else will handle that. Stay quiet if someone is suffering and it doesn't affect you. See, the world has a lot to say, and it is loud. But when we say, I am a Christ follower, I am a Christian, it matters. And you know what? It doesn't actually matter to God that we say that. Not at all. In fact, it matters to those who are with us in the world. Saying the right thing and then doing nothing does nothing for those who are suffering and does nothing for your neighbor in need. Paul, writing to this church in Philippi, knew how hard this is. He knew that the lure of power and prestige and taking care of ourselves first is real. He knew how easy it is to get distracted from what God is calling us to be and to do in the world. So he wrote this letter to remind them. A reminder of what we are called to do and be in the world. Jesus has given us authority. He hands that over to us. You're going to hold out your hands and receive the host and you're going to hear for you and then you're going to remember that Matthew's gospel, the one we hear from today, ends with go and make disciples. Don't sit in your pew and stay there where it's comfortable. Go out there and make disciples. Share the good news. See, Jesus gives us his authority. He shares it with us. He calls us, names us, and don't forget that last part. Sends us out. So we're going to end this morning. I'm going to end with the words again of Philippians 2 from Paul. 
uh, and a paraphrase, a combination of me and another guy paraphrasing Philippians 2. So here we go. To you, Prince of Peace, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if God's love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of faith of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care for others at all, then remember this. You're on the same team. Let's call it Team Human. So love each other and be kind. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. God has already given you every advantage you could ever need. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Try thinking of yourself the way Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and became human. He didn't claim a special privilege. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death for you. And because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth would take a knee and bow in worship before Jesus Christ to the glory and honor of God the Father. Challenge, right? This is hard work that we are called to, but we are not sent out into the world alone. Just take one quick second here and look around. Wave at each other. Look, you guys. These are your teammates in the world. These are who you get to go out there with and work in the world. It is a joy and an honor and a privilege to be sent. And it is scary, but we can do it. Right? Yes, let's Nate. Nate uh, you have to answer so that Nate's not the only one that answered that. So, yes, can we do it? Okay, there we go. So, let's stand this morning and profess our faith in this God who saves us and sends us out in the words of the Apostle. Everlasting, your light will shine when.